So today we're going to learn the Sicha on the subject of the 10th of Tevis, which is a fast day, which will be this year on Friday, if Mashiach doesn't come before. This comes from volume 15 of the Rebbe's talks of that it were edited, the Lakuti Sichos. So on the subject of Asar B'Tevis, the fast day, the, as we're going to learn through the class today, that the 10th of Tevis is the first of the fast days that we have that were set by the sages. So besides Yom Kippur, which is a biblical fast, we also have four fasts that are connected to the destruction of the temple, of the base of Mikdash in Jerusalem. And we have another fast called the Fast of Esther. But in the books of the prophets, it mentions about four fasts. Asara B'Tevis is the fast, the 10th of Tevis, that falls out in the 10th month, going from Pesach, as the Torah always counts the months. This is now we're talking about in the books of the prophets. That's where it records about the destruction of the temple. And over there, it says that the 10th month is that uh, there's a fast day called a tzayim, a fast day. And that's because that's the day that King Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem, put Jerusalem under a siege. And this is, we're talking now approximately the year uh, 588 BCE. So let's just say around 2,500 years ago, talking about the... with the events that led to the destruction of the first temple. So 588 BCE, about 15 or 16 months later, after Jerusalem was put under a siege, on the month of Tammuz and the 17th of Tammuz, the walls around Jerusalem were breached and the enemy started coming into the city of Jerusalem and then on the 9th of Av, in the next month, three weeks later, they actually destroyed the temple. Many years, I think it was the next year, a couple of years later, when the final blow came to the Jewish people, is our final hold, what we call the first commonwealth, that we had our armies and protecting Israel and Jerusalem and so on. So the general of the army, his name was Gedaliah, the son of Achikam, and he was taken down, he was killed, and that led to a major, major destruction and murder of many thousands of Jews. And that day is also a fast day. That day we fast is the day after Rosh Hashanah. Now, with this basic introduction, we're able to learn what the Rebbe is going to teach us about the fast day of the, of the 10th of Tavis and whether this day is going to stay a fast day or not, and what's going to happen with this day with the coming of Mashiach. So the first thing to mention is that this fast day, the 10th of Tavis is always very close. It's very close right before or right after the Shabbos where we have the Parsha of Vayigash. And as we know from the Shalat, that all events that happen during a week are connected to the weekly Parsha. So there's going to be a connection between the 10th of Tevis fast day and the Parsha that we read this week called Parsha Vayigash. Especially this fast day, as we just mentioned, is the first to all the other of these four fasts that are connected with the destruction of the temple. Now, the purpose 
and the goal of the four fasts that are connected to the destruction of the temple is in order that we should merit and reach to the days of the rebuilding of the temple. Which at that time, the fast days, all these fast days will be nullified and those days will be holidays. So we could say that the connection of Vayigash, of this week's Parsha, and the four fasts is mainly regarding the goal of the fasts that the fast will be nullified when Mashiach comes. What's the gist of Parsha Vayigash? We stress the idea at the name of the Parsha. Every name of the Parsha is the key that carries through the theme of the whole Parsha. Vayigash, it says in the beginning of the Parsha, we're talking now after Joseph's brothers, after they sold him, and after they came down to Egypt to find food, because that's the only place where there was food, and Yosef asked them questions, and they finds out they admit that they have a, a that one brother died, and that which is obviously Yosef, and they have another little brother Benjamin that's back at home. He says, "Go bring Benjamin, bring him back here," and all the many different events that happened in the story. They end up bringing down Benjamin, even though their father didn't want to let him go, and then his goblet is found in Benjamin's cup, and he wants to keep Benjamin as a slave. And in this week's Parsha, Yehuda loses it. And Vayigash, a love Yehuda. A Yehuda stands up and he approaches Yosef and he tells him, how could you do this to me? You keep on accusing us and you tell us this. You told us that we're spies. You told us that we're liars. You told us the, the, the whole thing. goes through the whole history of what happened in last week's Parsha. Now, when you say these words, that Yehuda approached Yosef, what does that mean? Who's the more superior of these two brothers? Yosef. Because Yehuda has to come to Yosef and ask for something. Even though Yehuda stands with strength and he's mad and so on, but ultimately Yosef is greater because Yehuda is coming to Yosef. In this week's Haftorah that we're going to read this Shabbos, we read from the book of Ezekiel, that there's going to come the messianic days, days when Mashiach comes, when Yehuda will be even greater than Yosef. There's going to be a unity between the two, and Yehuda is going to pull out Yosef, because you're going to soon see that Yosef is the one that represents the ten tribes that got lost, and we're going to talk about that soon. And because Yosef is the father of Menashe and Ephraim and they had the biggest lands, so it's kind of all goes under the umbrella of Yosef. And Yehuda is going to bring out not just his tribal, but also the tribes of Yosef, which includes all the ten tribes. And it's going to be a unity, and that's going to be when Mashiach comes. That's the gist of the Haftorah. So you see that first you have that Yehuda comes to Yosef. Yosef is greater than you have when Yehuda is greater and there's a unity between the two. Another emphasis of the unity between Yehuda and Yosef is mentioned in the Torah that even though Yehuda and Yosef are going to be one entity, they're going to be getting along so well, we're going to be one. Nevertheless, Yehuda is still going to be greater than Yosef. Even though Yehuda is going to be equal, he's going to be equal but greater. In other words, unity. They'll be unified, but Yehuda will still be greater. Where do we see this? Because we have a verse in the Tanakh that reads, The David, King David, his 
dynasty, his uh, his family. The David Avdi, David, my servant, will be Nasi Lahem Laolam, will be the leader of the people forever. So there's a special verse that gives us this promise that the the, the Davidic lineage will stay forever. They will never disappear. They are going to be always around. That means David comes from the tribe of Yehuda. So that shows us that the other tribes, they could disappear for a long time or forever. But this tribe of Dave, King David's kingdom, which is the tribe of Yehuda, they are around forever. So we see not just are they united, but they're also that Yehuda, and which is the continuation to the king of David, David, they will be with David Avdi Nasi Lahem Laulam forever. Now these two points, that's going to be when Mashiach comes. The unity between these two camps, Yehuda and Yosef, and the fact that Yehuda is going to be greater, we find also regarding the fast days that's going to be when Mashiach comes. As the Rambam points out, the Rambam has a section in his set of his codified laws. There's a section called the laws of fast days. Hilchus Tainius. Over there, in the end of his section of about fast days, says the Rambam like this. Regarding the fast days. That to the, in, regarding the days of Mashiach. The fast days will be transformed. For the house of Judah. For sason and simcha. For gladness and joy. And they will be l'mayadim kaivim for yamtovs. V'emes v'hashalom ehavai. And he quotes, this is all quoting from a verse, that the truth, peace, and love will reign. So in other words, even though there's going to be peace, love, truth, peace, and love, there will be, in meaning, there will be an idea of unity. That's not enough. He specifies that the greatness will be in the house of Yehuda. When we say the house of Yehuda, of Judah, that means the tribe of Judah. Remember, Yaakov Avinu had 12 sons, the tribe of Yehuda is going to be the one that's going to be the dominant and the most prominent. So it's the house of Yehuda that will make that the fast days will be turned over and they will become days of Yom Tov days. This idea that the fast days will be turned over, he specifies it more specifically by saying the house of Yehuda. And that has a bigger connection and the biggest connection to the fast that happens in the 10th month, which is the fast of this 10th of Tavis, which we're going to learn at the end of today's learning why this fast is more uh, important and more severe. And the main point is because it led to the opening up of the ultimate destruction of the temple because the siege over Jerusalem, that's what began the process to eventually have the destruction. And we're going to, in, in some interesting laws about this coming up soon. Now, to understand this a little bit more, the idea, let's summarize, the idea that Yehuda and Yosef, the two camps that represent all the tribes, that they will be, these two camps will be united, but Yehuda will even be greater. 
Before we continue, I want to recap a little bit of a history so you can appreciate these two groups. Let's go to the days where we start having kings. King David becomes, first it was King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, then came King David, and from David's line, Hashem says, is going to be the king that's going to be forever. David's successor is his son, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. Solomon, at the end of his life, he's involved by giving permission to, or allowing and not stopping his, some of his wives to be involved in idol worship. God tells him he's going to be punished, but not during his lifetime, because in a merit of your father, David, I'm not going to do this while you're alive. But after you die, King Solomon, I'm going to divide up your kingdom into two. And this consequence is what divides the Jewish nation into two people, to two groups. We have Solomon's son, Rehoboam. He comes to be, he comes the king over the tribe of Judah, which that's where his father Solomon and David, they, their son after son back from Judah. And they also include Benjamin with them. That's because the Beis Hamikdash, the Temple Mount, actually was in Benjamin's territory. So it becomes one kingdom of Solomon's son over the tribe of Yehuda and Benjamin. So these two tribes are together in that area called the Southern Kingdom of Israel. And the rest of the tribes, the other 10 tribes, they become the kingdom of to the north. We call it Malchus Yehuda and Malchus Yisrael. We call the ten tribes with the name of Israel. Which, by the way, these are the two names that we refer to Jewish people. We call the Jew- Jewish people Yehuda, Judah, right, the Jew. You also call people, people that the Israel people, which is Yisrael. Those are the kind of the two names. Now, when the first king arose from the other 10 tribes. This was a man named Yeravam ben Nevat, Yeravam the son of Nevat. He becomes the king and he decides, I'm afraid that if I allow Jews to do their pilgrimages on the holidays and go up to Jerusalem, they may become followers of Rehavam, the son of Solomon, and they will take over and they'll eventually throw me over and they'll kill me and it'll be a disaster. He decides, I'm blocking all the roads Nobody's allowed to go to Jerusalem to bring their offerings on the holidays. He decides I'm making my own holiday dates and he decides he's going to make golden statues that become idols that he decides this new concept of worshiping idols. He tells everybody, go worship there so you don't have to go up to Jerusalem. This was considered to be such a bad sin. Actually, in the Pirkei Avos, it says that Yeravim ben Avat, he's the example of somebody that does not have a part in the world to come because he was chata vehecheti esarabim. He sinned and he got others to sin by not allowing people to go up. This went on for a very long time, if I'm not mistaken, for maybe 250 years until the, 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 the days when the prophet Hesheah came and he came and he decided I'm taking down these idols and he takes, takes away these idols and he tells all the Jews from now on whoever wants to go to Jerusalem could go if you don't want to go don't go but the roads are open as a matter of fact he's very much criticized in the books of Isaiah he's criticized for this allowance by saying whoever doesn't want to go shouldn't go because till now we were able to find a an excuse. We were able to say, oh, any Jew that doesn't want to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, no, it's not his fault. There were individuals blocking the roads. But once we didn't have them anymore, everybody had the freedom of choice to go. You couldn't blame it on anybody. So every Jew would get blamed on themselves. 
Now this led to many Jews falling off the track, completely abandoning uh, their, their devotion to God, and they start becoming idol worshippers. And by this, eventually led that the Assyrian army started to get involved and started to fight the Jews. And each king, we had over 20 kings in the north, 20 kings over these years in the south. But eventually the kings of, uh, uh, started fighting and Jews tried to make peace treaties with other nations. And eventually they backstabbed us and they took in a couple tribes at a time. First they took three tribes and they took more tribes and they ended up eventually exiling 10, all these 10 tribes ended up being exiled, which we're going to learn a little bit soon, that they were all exiled, according to the Talmud, to three different places. But the main place basically is on the other side of what's called the Sambatya River. This is where they end up, uh, they end up going, to the, oh, the other side of the Sambatian River. Rashi tells us in the Talmud that the Sambatian River was a, a river that was throwing out stones and earth not water even, and six days a week it would throw out this dangerous things and nobody was ever able to cross it and to find these people and that's why we call them the lost tribes they were lost for good. According to the Jerusalem Talmud it says that they were, Rabbi Akiva says they'll never come back because they were lost for good and Rabbi Ezra says no, they may come back through tshuva and so on. So there's a debate about whether they'll end up coming back with the days of Mashiach or not but they completely assimilated and there's very different kinds of legends about people that tried to get to the other side of Sabbatian to find out but it was too dangerous. As a matter of fact that the Babylonian Talmud and the Talmud Sanhedrin over there it says that the, there was a, uh, on page 65, it says there that Rabbi, that, that uh, anti, um, it says that, that, um, that there was a major representative general of the Tunis Rufus of Russia. His name was Tunis Rufus the Wicked. He came to Rabbi Akiva once and he said, what's the proof that today is Shabbos? How do you know that today is Shabbos? Maybe Shabbos is on a Tuesday. How do you know that the, that we're still keeping proper track of the seventh day of the week? And he said to him that the proof is in you because you were chosen, so Shabbos was chosen. He said, what do you mean by me? Because I was chosen. He says, yeah, you're father, whoever chose you to be who you are. So that's the same one. God chose the day of Shabbos. He says, no, no, no. I want to know how you know that the seventh day is the day of the week. That's the right day. So he told them the proof is from the Sambatian River. Because just like the Sabbatian River only moves six days a week and on the seventh day it rests, that's a proof that the seventh day is the day of rest, that that's the day of Shabbos. So you see that there's this concept of this Sabbatian River, which we'll come a little bit more back to this soon. But back to here, what's important to us is, because while we're trying to understand the words of the Rambam, which we're going to find in a fascinating two different places in the prophets, and we've got to figure this idea, whole thing out. The Rambam basically is saying here that when Mashiach comes, the fast days will become no more fast days and they will be for the house of Judah, for the house of Yehuda. He doesn't mention the house of Israel. He says the house of Yisrael, of Yehuda. The house of Yehuda means the tribe of Yehuda, means the southern kingdom, that they will have days of joy on these days. Says the Rebbe, we have to understand here, in what's going on here in the Rambam. The Rambam says the full version is like this. All the fast days that will be, that are, all the fast days that are, will eventually be nullified in the days of Mashiach. That's point one. 
Point number two, not just will they be nullified, but they're going to be a days of yamtif days. Days of sasun and simcha, glad and joy. Where does he know this from? Because it says in the book of Zechariah, and he quotes the prophecy from Zechariah. Who's the prophet of Zechariah? Let's just give a recap who that prophet is. In the, in, in the days of prophets, especially in the days of the first temple, we still had a lot of prophets. And the prophecy started to slow down until the end of the first temple. That's primarily when the days when we had the end of prophecy communication through people hearing prophecies. Zechariah was part of a group of prophets called Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. One of the books in the books of prophets, the last book, is called the Book of the Twelve Prophets. The reason why it's called the Twelve Prophets is not because they're smaller prophets, it's just because they're shorter versions, for shorter prophecies that they had. They're full-fledged prophecies, and we take every word and letter there, so you're soon going to see, super, super carefully. So in the book of Zechariah, he lives around 700 BCE. So remember, the first temple is destroyed. Sorry, the second temple is destroyed 70. At, uh, sorry, yeah, at 70 CE. And the first temple, second temple stood 420 years. So you're going back, right, a few hundred years. We were 70 years in Babylonia. And then we had, before that, we had the first temple for 410 years. So he lives around 700 BCE until the beginning of, uh, sorry, these 12 tr- uh, prophets take, you know, a span over the period from 700 BCE until about 400 BCE, around that period. Now, the Rambam quotes from the book of Zechariah saying, this is a prophecy regarding soon we're going to have the destruction if we don't shape up. But eventually there'll be another temple and then the days of the fast days will be no more fast days. So God says, Hashem tzavos. So said the, uh, the God the host. There's the, there's the fast day that's on the fourth month which this refers to Nisan Eirs, even Tammuz, the 17th day of Tammuz. There's the fast day of the fifth month, that refers to the days of Tisha B'av. There's the fast day on the seventh day, that's the fast, seventh month, that refers to the seventh month, which is Tishrei, the fast day of the fast of Gedalia. And you have on the tenth month, when you count all from the months again from Nisan, that's the fast day of the tenth month, which is the tenth of Tavis. These fast days will be for the house of Yehuda, for the house of Judah, for that tribal, l'sasayin u'lesimcha for gladness and joy, u'lemayadim teivim for big yamtus, and there'll be truth, peace, and love will reign then. Now, where does the Rambam get his, get his information to give this halachic ruling? He gets it from a Tosefta, which is the sections that are brought down in the Talmud, in the end of Tractate Tainus which deals with fastings. The only thing is, that's the source of the Ramam. The thing is that if you go into the Talmud, there it phrases this whole phrase slightly different. It says, those days, it's going to be a yamtif for the Jewish people. And it quotes the verse. Says the Rebbe, we have to understand three questions here. Number one, why does the Rambam break it down into two points? The Rambam says, 
first he says, all the fast days will be nullified when Mashiach comes, in the days of Mashiach. Then he says that they will, there will be days of Yom Tov. In the Talmud, it says it much shorter. It doesn't say it in two parts. The days will be nullified and there's going to be a Yom Tov. It just says that in the future time, there's going to be Yom Tovs. And these fast days will be Yom Tovs. There won't be any fast days. Automatically, it's going to be a Yom Tov day. So why does the Rambam make it into two separate points? Number one, all fast days are going to be nullified. And number two, they're going to become a Yom Tov. Just say they're going to become a Yom Tov. And I know that they're nullified. In other words, we have to understand the way the Rebbe asks a question. The Rebbe's question basically is to help us to understand that if the Rambam says something in two sentences that he could have said in one sentence, that's going to be a revolutionary idea that we're going to have to learn from this. Otherwise, why say this thing longer? So he didn't have to say it's going to be nullified and it's going to be young. Just say, no fast, it's going to be young. Number two, the next question is, in the Tosefta there in the Talmud, it says that it's going to be, it's going to be, those days are going to be a yomtif for Yisrael, for Israel. The Rambam takes that word out. He doesn't say it's going to be a yomtif for Israel. He just says it's going to be a yomtif. Is there something there? Is there a reason why you take out that word that it's going to be a yomtif for Israel? Are you trying to tell me something, the Rambam, right? Are you trying to hint to something? Obviously, if we pick up on the nuances, we get to learn and appreciate the whole style and opinion of the Rambam, the way he's teaching us how to think about law. And actually, you would think that by saying that word, like the, like the Talmud says, that it's going to be a yomtev for Israel, that's a very important point. Because in the verse it says that it's going to be a yomtif for base Yehuda, for the house of Yehuda. And the simple reason why it's saying that in the, in the verse, why it says the word Yehuda in the verse, because over there it's talking about the second temple. That's going to be the, the period of time when the ten tribes will have not been returned yet. Therefore it says it'll be a yomtif for Yehuda. So I would think that if, but if the Rambam is talking about the days of Mashiach, he's not talking about the days that's going to be in the second temple. So for sure, he should have said Israel, which would include all Jews. Why does the Rambam just say it's going to be a yomtif and he doesn't say the word it's going to be a yomtif for Israel? Why doesn't he have that word for Israel? For Israel in it. And one more question is, the Rambam, even when he brings down verses, he doesn't always bring down a full verse. He only brings down the words of a verse that you need to help you to understand his point. His point here is that when Mashiach comes, the fast days will be nullified and it's going to be a yomtif and you're bringing me a verse for this. But the end of the verse has three words. Truth, peace, and love will reign. Why do I need those three words? How are those three words helping me to understand that the fast days are going to be a yomtif? Just quote the verse that says that these fast days are going to be yomtif. So why does he have to bring down the, at the end of that verse? Says the Rebbe, we could actually answer 
question two and question three, why he doesn't say the word Israel and why it's important to have those words, emes, truth, shalom, and avai, we can answer that with one answer that will answer each other. In order to make it clear that the fasts are going to be a yamta for all of the Jews, even though the verse says, Beis Yehuda, the Rambam brings the end of the verse, that truth, peace, and avai, love, will be there. Since when Mashiach comes, there's going to be peace, not just for the house of Yehuda. It means for everybody. It's going to be like we just said before, when Mashiach comes, it's going to be Yehuda and Yosef in unison. There'll be Shalom. Therefore, it will include all the Jews automatically. So by saying the end of the verse, I know that he means all Jews. Says the Rebbe, that answer is not so satisfactory. Because what you end up with is that the Rambam is hinting to the idea that it's including everybody by saying the words that there's going to be true, there's going to be truth and, and peace. Why doesn't the Rambam just say it clearly? Say the one word, Yisrael. It's going to be a yamtif for, for all of Israel. He didn't have to hint it by saying the word Shalom. In other words, if you want to answer, because he said the word Shalom, and really it's going to be a full Shalom, Yehud and Yosef together. That's a little far-fetched because that's only hinting to me the answer. The Rambam should have said it more clear, especially when he's quoting the Talmud. He should have said clearly the word Israel. And now we can ask even a much more amazing, amazing question here. The Rambam is only one of the places where we have the Jewish law. We also have, as we all know, the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch. Basically, which is the same idea. The Torah, which was written by Yosef Cairo, later it was he summarized it into the called the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch. Over there, it's, there's also a section that's also a place of law. So the Rambam has his set written, let's say, around 900 years ago. Yosef Cairo lives about 550 years ago. So we have different, you know, printings of different great sages that summarized the whole Tanakh with the whole Talmud and all the commentaries to give us the bottom line how you behave as a Jew. So in the Torah there, it says, in the laws of fasting, it says the same idea that when Mashiach comes, Hashem will turn over the fast days. He uses the word turn over. Transform the fast days to gladness and joy. And he brings down a different verse. In the Torah and Shulchan Aruch, it says the verse from Jeremiah. Yirmiyahu. Over there, there's a verse that says like this. That when Mashiach comes, V'hafachti, I will turn over Avelam, their days of mourning, L'sason, for gladness, V'nichamtim, and I will comfort them, V'simachtim, and I will make joy from their days of sorrow. Now remember, Jeremiah lives in the end of the first temple. He's the one that gave heavy prophecies and warnings that the time of Nebuchadnezzar, when he put Jerusalem into a siege, is warnings to us to be able to wake up and repent and do serious teshuva. But nobody wanted to listen to him. Obviously, people that tell you what to do are not so popular. 
and he wasn't his, his cryings of sounds of his prophecy weren't so popular. Eventually, the Jews got that the government should arrest him. They put him into exile. So if he's in jail, he won't be able to talk his prophecies, right? Anyways, the end was he ends up coming out. But the, the point is that he gave very sharp warnings. His, his, a lot of his Aftoras are read during the times, during different times of the year. So the point is, he also talks there about promises that Hashem told him to tell over to us of the days that are going to be good. Even when we're going to have the destruction, we got promises that Mashiach's going to come and we're going to have the rebuilding of the temple and so on and so forth. But the point here, verses he's quoting here, is that the fast days will be turned over. Says the Rebbe, what's going on over here? If you take all these sources of law, the Rambam and the Torah Shulchan Aruch, and you put it on one side and two sides of, of the page, and look carefully at their text, you're going to see something strange. The Rambam brings a verse from the book of Zechariah to this notion that fast days are going to be yomtivs, and the Torah brings down a verse from Yirmiyo. What's what, Why the difference? You're both trying to prove the same point. That when Mashiach comes, it's not going to be fast days, it's going to be yomtivs. Why does the Rambam bring from one place and he brings from the other place? Now the verse in the Zechariah, in Zechariah that the Rambam brings, there he says, It's going to be days of gladness and joy. In Yermio it says, it doesn't use the word it's going to be. It says it's going to, it, it will be turned over to days of Yom Tif. What's the difference here? One place it says it will be, and one says it's going to turn over. It's going to be a yamtif. It's going to turn over to be a yamtif. Is there a difference in these choice of words? Well, obviously there's a difference. Otherwise, why would we have two different expressions? So when Zachariah is talking about one thing, he's the same idea. He uses the verb, the words. It's going to be a yamtif. Here he says it's going to turn out to be a yamtif. These, these differences also is going to help us to understand why the Rambam says it in two, in, in two situations. He says, point one, he breaks it up into two points. Point one, fast days are going to be nullified. Point two, they're going to be Yom Tevim. And also this point that the Rambam brings the verse of Zechariah of Zikhar, that yeah, it's going to be. And in the Torah, they bring the verse from Yirmiyo of uh, Fat's going to turn over. We can understand these differences of these two words, whether you say it's going to be a Yamtif or whether you say it's going to be turned over to be a Yamtif. We can understand it when we understand the difference of what's really going to happen to these fast days when Mashiach comes. There's three ways to look at it of what's going to be about these troubling fast days. Number one, the simplest level is, the first stage is, that fast days will be nullified. That means, since we're going to live in a time of peace, of shalom, therefore, those days will be nullified. The days of fasting will be gone. Like there's a verse, like there's a law that says, yes, shalom, ain't misanin. If there's peace, no fasting. No peace, you should fast. So since we're going to live in a time where there's going to be shalom, no fast. That's one point. 
So there's like, it's kind of like an automatic thing. Number one is no fast because there's no reason to fast anymore. Number two, not just will we not have a fast day, but those days are now going to be a Yom Tov. It's not just like going to go back to a regular ordinary day. No, they're going to be a holiday days. What meaning why? Because you went out of days of pain, no more of kingdoms and, and, and authorities of other governments bossing us around and not letting us serve Hashem. So uh, days of no peace. Therefore, automatically we're in days of Shalom. So that's going to bring automatically a feeling of joy of holiday. So that's the second point, that the not having a fast day is automatically going to lead you to have days of Yom Tif. That's number two. So it's going to be automatically, what are we going to do with this day? There's no reason to fast. Ah, no reason to fast. That alone is going to make it into a reason to joy. Right? If there's nobody killing you, that alone is a reason to be joyful. Number three, not just these days are going to be a yumtif, but even more. The fast itself is going to turn into be a yumtif. In other words, it's not the avoidance of the fast that's going to make you be happy. The fast itself gets transformed to be a yumtif. Like we said, there's a verse in the Torah that says, Hashem that we're going to be telling Hashem, Mashiach comes, thank you for all the anger that you poured out. In other words, we're going to realize later that all this was a favor. We're waiting for that day. We keep on saying, enough is enough. Just let us thank you already. Let's move on, right? So it's the same idea that the fast itself, right now, it's terrible. It's a fast, sad day. The temple's still not here. It's sad days. But the fast days itself, the fast itself, the negativity of that day itself is going to be transformed to a yanta. The bad itself is going to be good. We're soon going to see how that itself is good. Now, let's talk for a moment now. We also have these three levels in fast days itself. As the Rambam brings down, that fast days itself is the fasting is a method of repentance, of returning, of getting closer to Hashem. It's a way of tshuva. We find three levels in tshuva when the tshuva comes from love. There's different kinds of tshuva. You could do repentance for something and say, I got to get closer to Hashem out of fear. That's a lower level because you're scared of something, Right? A higher level is when you do teshuva out of love. And that's what he tells you over here. That when you have teshuva out of love for Hashem, you have these three levels. Number one is, you go away from your sins, meaning my sins are now nullified. I'm repented. I clean myself from it. So the sin is gone. Number two, that the fact that I don't have a sin is making me add in more good things now. Right? A person says, I'm not going to eat, eat non-kosher anymore. Well, that alone is making you eat more kosher. So it's not just that the sins are nullified. There's actually now also a gain in your good deeds. Then you have the third level. The third level is that your sins itself are not just that they're nullified. They are transformed into merits. And we once, many times, we explained this from the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe explains, 
just very briefly, how is it possible that your sin itself should be called a, a merit? Because think of it that when a person sins, what happened? You distance yourself from Hashem. As it says, sins separate us from Hashem. So when a person feels distant, mortis to mortis, very distant, eventually the distance itself makes you wake up and say, whoa, 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 whoa what's going on over here? I'm so far gone. I can't believe that I'm so far gone. I must now make a step and get closer. So it's the distance that is making you become closer. So it's like the distance, the sin itself is what awakened you to become closer, right? So we see the same idea of these three things. We could say that just like the general idea of the redemption from with the coming of Mashiach is dependent on us doing teshuva, as the Rambam says, Saif Yisrael last teshuva, the end is we're going to do teshuva. So too, it's with the nullifying of the fast days when Mashiach come. We have the same three levels. So again, to summarize the three levels of the fast days, one is that the fast is nullified, it's gone. Another thing is the absence of the fast itself makes you have simcha. And the third thing is that the fast itself is a transformed day. Now we could understand the general idea in halacha, which the Rambam is a book of halacha. That's the whole point of the Rambam. He says, halacha is halacha. That's, that's my whole point, is to write the laws. We have to understand, if, you're, if you are a book of laws, why do you have to tell me that fast days are going to be nullified? How does that help me? How is that a law? What's the law, that, what's the takeaway law when you say that fast days are going to be nullified? So in the Rambam, you could say, you know why the Rambam brings down that fast days will be nullified? Because the Rambam in general, he has a whole section on the laws of Mashiach. He has three full chapters at the end of his set that talks all about the era of Mashiach, who's going to be Mashiach, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. All this is, the Rambam quotes that in this book of laws. But in the Shulchan Aruch, they don't have a section of laws there about Mashiach's days. Which is, a, which is very interesting on a loan. By the way, that means, usually when there's no other authorities that argue on the Rambam, that means that everybody agrees with the Rambam on these laws. That's why they don't have their own. Right? So all the laws of Mashiach the Rambam has, I understand why you're telling me that the fast days are going to be nullified because that's a Messianic information we need to know from Mashiach's days. But in the Torah, why does he have to tell me there that the fast days will be nullified? And the answer is, because you're teaching me in how we have to fast. What is supposed to happen when we have a fast? Like I once saw from the previous Rebbe, he once said, he said, if a person fasts and thinks about their loss of weight, then it's called a diet. It's not called a fast day. A fast day means that you repent. If you're doing it just to lose weight, then that's called a diet day. But if you want to call it a fast day, like what the Torah fast day means, then that means that you're transforming the fast itself to be a day of happiness. Now this makes us to, helps us to understand the difference of the two verses, the way it's brought down in Zechariah and the way it's brought down in Yirmiyahu regarding the two different points the two, the same point, regarding the same point that the fast days will be nullified, whether I say it that it will be or whether I say it will transform. In the verse that the Rambam brings down, it's talking about the days of the fast, that these days will be a yamtif. 
Meaning, in addition that the fast will be nullified, there will also come a benefit that's also going to be a yamtiv. But when the verse says that they will be transformed, the days of evil, avelam, the days of mourning will be transformed, that's talking about the the fast itself will be transformed. That's the highest level, right? That's the fast itself will be turned over to be a yamtiv. And the difference is, in Zechariah, it's talking about a prophecy regarding the days of the second temple. That the tribe of Yehuda, he gives a prophecy regarding them that the days will come back, meaning you're going to have the rebuilding of the second temple. By the way, according to many opinions, after when the second temple was built, Jews only fasted Tishabav actually, because we had the second temple. So we kind of didn't fast anymore for the other days that led to the destruction of the first temple. Only later, after the second temple was destroyed, that we revamped all the four fast days, actually. But in any case, the verse from Zechariah is talking about the second temple, that we're going to have the days of the second temple. And even though the second temple was a lower standard than the first temple, as the famous thing that the Talmud says, that five holy items were gone in the second temple. We didn't have five of the important items that we had in the first temple, right? We were missing the little jar of manna from the days of the desert. We didn't have the ark. We didn't have the, the menorah. We are missing five things. So that was missing, meaning it was missing, it was missing the highest level of transforming the fast day into a yamtif. That's why we quote only in the Zechariah, he only says the verse, the first that says it's going to be a yamtir because he's talking about the second temple. But the verse in Yirmiyahu over there, he's talking about the, that the days of mourning will be transformed. He's talking about the days of Mashiach because that's going to be the ultimate day. The ultimate days are going to be when the fast itself is transformed into a yamtif. Not the absence of the fast is a yamtif. It's the fast itself is a yamtif. Now we can understand, if so, why did the Rambam only bring the verse of Zechariah? Based on all of this, he should have brought down the, the higher verse about the days of Mashiach, that it was transformed. But here he says this by breaking it down into two points, he says. Because he says, first of all, that the days are is going to be nullified, the fast will be nullified, and he says they're going to be days of joy. With this, the Rambam's trying to emphasize also that when, it's, when he doubles the expression and saying it in two, two, in two sets or two expressions or two parts, he's trying to emphasize that even the fact that it nullified this because that alone will be a transformable idea to be a yamtif. Therefore, we can't say that the Rambam holds that these days will be a yamtif because it will be kind of like, like automatically, there's no fast, therefore. Because that's, that's a natural thing, that when the bad situation, the painful days are nullified, automatically that brings out a higher joy. Here he's saying is, that not just will the days be nullified, but it will also be a yamtif. He's trying to tell you that the fast itself will be transformed. And this he brings by telling you the verse from Zechariah that the fast itself will be sasa no simcha. It will be joyful. 
And the fact where he uses the, the verse uses the word, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the tenth, the fa- seventh and the fast of the tenth. Why doesn't it say the fourth month? Why does it call it the fourth fast or the seventh fast, tenth fast? Why do you use the word same by each month? It should have said chodesh harvi, chodesh of this, chodesh of that. So there's a commentary called the Bach on the Talmud and he says from the fact that the verse chooses this word, the fast month four, the fast month five, the fast month seven, the fast month ten, is to emphasize the word fast means pain, anguish, discomfort. And when the Rambam's bringing this verse to tell you that these, these words, fast, which emphasizes anguish and pain, that alone is going to be a yamtif. Now the Rebbe takes us on a little journey into the famous revolutionary idea that the Rebbe opened up the eyes to the entire Torah world. When you learn the Rambam well, you get to see a fascinating thing. A lot of people miss this when they read the Rambam very quickly, but the Rebbe opened our eyes to this, that in the chapters of 11, 12, of the, uh, in the last two chapters of the Seder Rambam, 11 and 12, where he speaks about Mashiach, he says that the Rambam really is talking and believes and teaches us, according to the Rambam, that there's going to be two periods when Mashiach comes. There's going to be first a period where there's going to be no big transformation in worldly affairs. There will not be these massive miracles. Then there's going to be the days of the massive miracles. The first period is called the beginning days of Mashiach. As the Rambam says, there will be no difference in the Messianic era of nowadays to the days of Mashiach. Only our loyalty to foreign governments. No, uh, no Gaiasha governments are going to be ruling Jews anymore. We're going to be able to serve Hashem freely to the highest level. It's called Shibud Malchis. The fact that you're tied down to other foreign countries, other foreign you know, uh, authorities. That's the only thing that's going to change when Mashiach comes. There won't be any other difference. So all these stories we hear about, all these miracles, the Rambam says no. Min the world is going to continue on its regular course. But that's only the first period when Mashiach comes. At a later period when Mashiach comes, there's going to be what's called the resurrection of the dead. So then the ways, the natural ways of the world will be transformed. Ah, so all those verses that says the, the wolf will lie with the lamb and, and the, the swords will be turned into plow shields. All these kind of miraculous things will be in the second period of Mashiach's arrival. The Rambam says, since man does not know how these hidden ideas will actually unfold, we don't know exactly the order of them and the details of it. Says the Rambam, the fact that we don't know means it's not essential to our religion. That's why he doesn't bring down those details in his book of laws. Because what the order of how these miraculous events are going to unfold, it's going to happen when it unfolds, we'll know. 
How's that going to help you to today to know all those details? That's why he doesn't get into it. But the fact that this idea that there's going to be two stages when Mashiach comes, this is a revolutionary idea of the Rambam, the way the Rebbe opened our eyes to the Rambam. Now, based on this, we could divide what the Rambam is telling us in the laws of fasting here in two, two sections. He says, number one, fasting are going to be nullified. Number two, it's going to be a yamtif. Because we're talking about two different days, two different periods when Mashiach comes. In the first period, when there's going to be peace in the world, governments will have peace, right? We'll have peace with the governments. Then there's no more fast days. There may be an automatic expression of Yom fine. But the second thing is that the fast itself will transform into Yom days. Meaning the world itself, we're going to see how the world itself is not a negative to serve Hashem, but the world itself is actually a tool, a helping tool to serve Mashiach, to serve Hashem, and that's going to be in the second period Mashiach comes. I, why did the Rambam choose the verse that springs down that about these fast days and about the house of Yehuda? We asked this question earlier, why didn't he say the word the house of Israel? Why did he say just the word of Yehuda? Yehuda is more channeling it Remember as we went through this whole history thing that the ten tribes and the tribe of Yehuda. Why do we say that this, this is going to happen in the days when the house of Yehuda will be a yamtiv? Says the Rebbe a very interesting thing. Fascinating when you think about this. What happened to the ten tribes when they got lost? Where are they? They were exiled over the Sambatian River. By the way, I saw in, in uh, Steinsaltz, he says that, um, that it, today the Sambatian River is most likely in Afghanistan. That's where it's today, right? Or in, um, in Kazavak, he says, which is some other part of the world there. I also saw another commentary that said, that Sambatian is from the word Sam, Sam like Shabbos, like Sabbath, Sabbath, like that, which shows that this is the river, as I quoted you to you before from the Talmud, that the Sambatian river doesn't move on Shabbos. These 10 tribes, at the end of the day, they were exiled, they were assimilated, they were completely lost. Over the history of our people in the last 2,000 years, there's been many times when groups came from different countries around the world, from Yemen, from Japan, from China, right? People came and said, what? We're Jewish. We're the B'nai Moshe, we're the B'nai Menashe, or B'nai Ephraim, right? Can you tell these people that they're not? How can, you can't tell them that they're not. Could you tell them that they are? You also can't tell them that they are. They've been lost for hundreds of years, so it's a very difficult situation, right? In 1970 then, when we brought the Yemenite Jews to, to Israel, well, we're compassionate people. We're going to do whatever we can, even if there's doubt. And we flew and spent money and time and risked lives to bring these people to Israel. And what did the Rabbanut say in Israel? That in doubt, they have to convert because we're not 100% sure. But you have to remember something. There must be, 
millions of people today around the world that you could probably trace them back, mother after mother after mother, that they're actually really Jewish. But there's no way to know. When they were exiled, they were gone, assimilated. So 10 tribes, gone, we don't know where they are. We can't identify them. We need to wait for Mashiach for that. But the tribe of Yehuda, which includes Benjamin, that's all of us. Yes, yeah, certain individuals, maybe you could prove from a different tribe. But majority of Jews today are under the umbrella of the southern kingdom of Judah. This is the kingdom, as the verse we quoted before, that Judah Right, it comes from uh, that David's kingdom comes from Judah, and Hashem promises David Avdi Nasilam Laelam, you're going to be there forever. So, which is the people that have been tortured and chased from land to land over the last two thousand years? All the descendants of Judah. The other tribes, they were gone and finished. Either living happily ever after, or not living. We don't know, but not as the representation of the Jewish people. They were exiled and taken out. So it's the, it's the rest of the Jews that went through the tortures of exiles. Those other people, even if they have descendants as Jews, they were, didn't go through the Holocaust or other kinds of stuff like that that we all had to endure. That means the main, the main difficulties of living under foreign countries and difficult, challenging lives was not by the ten tribes that were on the other side of the Sembatian. And we even mentioned this in our Tishabav prayers. In the, in the booklet, the kinnus that you read on Tishabav, there's a paragraph there that talks about the ten tribes and how they were exiled. Imagine this, they weren't even around the times of the Second Temple. I mean, hard for us to understand. They weren't even there for the destruction of the Second Temple and so on. It's a sad story to our people. But the real painful people, the people that went through the exile all the years till today, that have survived and keep up the Torah and mitzvahs and keep up the Jewish flame of life are all from the base Yehuda, from the house of Yehuda. So when the Rambam brings down this verse, it's important to teach us that since the great joy of these fast days and Mashiach's come, days comes in comparison, such a great level of holiday in comparison to the pain of the fast days that we have during the times of exile. Therefore, in order to bring out the great joy, the Rambam specifically wants to emphasize the Beis Yehuda verse where it emphasizes the difficulties because that will tell us how much greater the yomtif and the joy will be. And of course, this is going to be when Yehuda is going to schlep in also Yosef. We're going to have the unity of both of them. That's going to be the biggest simcha for the house of Yehuda that will happen with the unity together with the lost ten tribes. Now, even though this emphasis of base Yehuda and the great joy that's going to come after this whole suffering of the exile is mainly by the house of Yehuda. We have also, in the second point that we said before, that because of the nullification of the fast, automatically you have a yomtev. Because what more 
is the pain, how much more is the joy that comes out of it. Nevertheless, since the Rambam brings this verse to emphasize those words, Beis Yehuda is regarding the third level that the fast itself will turn into a joy. How do you explain this? Says the Rebbe, Hasidus gives us the explanation to this, to really appreciate how the transformation of the fast day is, is the Yom Tif. The fast itself is now a Yom Tif. You have to have it based on the deeper meanings of what Hasidus tells us like this. Hasidus says, what's the difference between Yosef and Yehuda in terms of their service with Hashem? It says Yosef represents Talmud, learning. He always had learning, never stopped learning, even when he was involved in Egypt and all the stuff. As he even sent, you know, remember the story, he sent back the wagons to his father because the word for wagon is represented to the Agala, to the, another word of Egla Rufa, whatever, right? Now, learning is like bringing a light into the world. That's called bringing a revelation into the world. Even if the world is not ready yet, you're putting light out there. That's called changing the world by just flooding it with light. That's Yosef. Yehuda was different. Yehuda represented action. They were farmers. They worked the land. They represented action or mitzvahs, the action part of the mitzvahs. So Yosef represents Talmud, learning, and Yehuda represents the quality of action. What does it mean, action in this world? That means utilizing, taking the world and fixing it, elevating it. Now the difference of whether you bring the light and you flood the world with light or whether you work with the bottom and you work with the land and you elevate the land is a very big difference. Elevating the land from bottom up means I'm transforming the ground. When you just bring in a big light, who says that the earth was transformed? But when I lift up the earth, you transform the earth. That's why in the level of Yosef, we only have the first level. The fasts are nullified. But when you get the accomplishment of Yehuda, the fast itself is transformed because that's the essence of what Yehuda is about. Yehuda represents action, not just the learning part. Learning is light. Action is taking the earth, the, the material substance itself. This is also the connection between Yehuda with the difficulties of exile. When you talk about the level of Yosef, when the revelation comes to just bringing light, he can't affect the material substance down here so well because he's just brought a lot of light there. But that doesn't mean that the darkness is now light. It just means that the darkness is nullified. If you put on the light so much, it doesn't mean that there is no darkness here. It just means that the darkness, we can't see the dark anymore because there's light. However, the level of Yehuda is where you transform the darkness and there's no more of that darkness anymore because the darkness itself is giving out light. Therefore, the service of Yehuda is that there's no room for darkness. And this is a level that's going to happen and that happens through feeling the distance. As we say, what's the greater level of a Baal over a Tzaddik? Why is a Baal greater than a Tzaddik? Because the Baal became close to Hashem because they felt the distance. The Tzaddik is close to Hashem, not because he felt any distance. The tzaddik never went so low. So the tzaddik's not really lifting up that low, a low of a place. And this is the difference also when Mashiach comes. 
when you look at Yosef or Yehuda, because of and Yosef's angle, the verse, there's a verse, a fascinating verse in the book of Ruth. <laughs> Amazing verse. I went to check it out. In the same verse, he's ta- it mentions there twice the word of redemption. Once it says, your redemption is good. And once it said, your redemption is from me. When, it's, when God says that, you know, that's connected with bringing good. When you say, I redeem you, that means I'm also lifting up the lower levels. Based on this, we can also understand the difference between when you say the fast is going to be going to be a days of joy for the base Yehuda to the second period of when Mashiach comes. Like we said, that when Mashiach comes, there's going to be two levels, two periods. The first one is going to be as you elevate into the days of Mashiach, we're going to have a meal with the Leviathan and the shir, the ox, the shir habar. That means we're going to have a meal with food. That's what it says. You're going to eat the fish. You're going to eat the meat. Right? Or as I told you, my grandfather always said, he's going to smoke that cigar that the, Rafi, the previous Rebbe gave him for Mashiach's meal. Okay, fine. Then we'll, then we'll be all healthy, good lungs. So the first stage is when Mashiach comes, and we're going to have a big meal. Then it also says about Mashiach's days, that it's going to be such a holy period of time, nobody's going to eat or drink. Oh, one second. You just said we're going to have a big meal. Now you're telling me there's no eating or drinking? Ah, there's two periods. The difference is, when you say eating and drinking in Mashiach's era, that's talking about the joy that comes through, the reason, the flavor, the geschmack when you eat like that's the flavor of Torah. That's going to be revealed. The second level is not just the flavor of the Torah that you're going to enjoy. You're going to enjoy the revelation of the essence of God himself. That's something that comes through a very high level of teshuva or self-sacrifice to do mitzvahs. And also through being pushed through difficulties in the times of exile. So a person should not be the spear, the push and the squeeze and the troubles in the times of exile is going to lead us only to the highest level when Mashiach comes. So too is the difference between the two periods when Mashiach comes. The first period, we're going to be able to learn Torah. That's all. We're going to be able to have free minds. We're not going to have the pressures of government and taxes and all that stuff. That's like in the stage of eating and drinking. That's like revelation days. The second period is the days with the resurrection. The world won't have any limitations of the laws of the world. And that's going to come because the essence of Hashem itself. And therefore, this words, when you say that the days of Yehuda are going to be the days that are connected to Mashiach, it's talking about the second period of time when Mashiach comes. That's the period that's going to happen to Yehuda because they're the ones that had the most painful time in exile. Based on all this, we can also understand the connection to the 10th day of Tavis, which is the fast day that's scheduled, but hopefully it's not really scheduled for this Friday fast day. This year falls out on a Friday. And like I mentioned last Shabbos, the next time there's going to be such a date, I'm not saying it's going to be a fast day, hopefully. The next time we're going to have such a date where the 10th of Tavis falls out on a Friday, 
is going to be in the year 2040. <laughs> in 17 years. So now, the connection to this fast is like this. In the Abu Draham, Abu Draham is a very famous uh, scholar, he lived mostly in the later days in, in Italy. In, so he's, he writes like this, and he has a siddur, and he has the laws of fastings there, and he writes like this to Abu Draham. And he says that if the 10th of Tavis would fall out on a Shabbos, you would not be allowed to postpone this fast day to a different day. You would have to fast on Shabbos, which is an unbelievable thing. The only day that you ever fast on a Shabbos if Yom Kippur falls out on a Shabbos. Why, says the Budraham? Because there's a verse that says, regarding the fast day of the 10th of Tevis, it says the words, in the essence of this day. And that verse is used regarding Yom Kippur. So since both verses for 10th of Tevis and Yom Kippur have those words, the essence of the day, therefore, the essence of the day overpowers if it would be on a Shabbos. Now what's the logic behind this? That the 10th of Tevis, if it would be on a Shabbos, you would be able to do it? It's so, so severe. And the reason is, because this is the day that the noose was put around our neck. The, Jerusalem was put under the siege. And that led, at the end, to the eventual next events that happened that led to the 17th of Tambos where they broke through the, the city and the 9th of Av where the this temple itself was destroyed and the 3rd of Tishri when Gedalia, the general Gedalia, the son of Achikam, was killed. And since the source for all these troubles was the 10th of Tavis, therefore it's the most harshest, the most severe of all these four fasts. And since the fast of the 10th of Tavis is the source to the other of all these four fasts, it's understood that the, that the teshuva level that is a, required on this fast day is on such a high level. For, for, compared to all the other day fast days. And therefore, we can reach through this fast day to the essence of our relationship with Hashem even more than we can through the other fast days. So too, as the benefit of Yehuda that comes through the difficulties, so too the most difficult day could bring us to the highest level. And this is the deeper meaning that even if it would fall out on Shabbos, you wouldn't be able to postpone it because the deeper meaning is because you could reach even higher than what you could reach to through a Shabbos. Like the greatness that you could accomplish through the, the pain that you do on Yom Kippur, which is like the days of Mashiach days. That's why we don't eat and drink in the highest level of Mashiach's era. They won't be eating and drinking like Yom Kippur. And this is the reason is, because this tshuva could reach to this highest level. So this is the talk for today of this idea. And l'chaim, and let's pray that we should be able to already have this experience right now. L'chaim. Okay.